listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Where it's time to open up Scripture. It's time to open up their equivalent of the modern-day Bible. It's their, their ancient scrolls or their, their prophet teachings. And so they open up the scroll of Isaiah and they hand it to Jesus. And so Jesus gets this handed to him and he begins to read these words. It says, The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind eyes will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. As we read last week, the story goes that after Jesus reads this passage of Scripture, he rolls up the scroll, he hands it back to the guy, and in front of everybody he says, today these words have come true right in front of all of you. Pretty heavy stuff. Pretty incredible stuff. Jesus reading from one of the most ancient prophecies that everybody in the place knows by heart, and they know the equivalent of what this means, of who it's talking about. And then Jesus says to everybody, these words right here, right now, it's me, right here. The story that we read last week said that they got so mad, they were so angry at what he said, that they, made a, they formed a mob. They turned into this mob of people and rushed him. And they came at Jesus and they began to rush him towards a cliff. And they wanted him to fall off the cliff. They wanted him to die. They were like, you're, you're out of here, dude. We have had enough of this crazy talk. And they, they mobbed him and sent him towards this cliff. And the miraculous thing that happened is that Jesus got to the edge of the cliff. And the story that we read in Scripture is that he began to just walk right through the mob. Nobody touched him. He walked right into a village, and the first village that he walked into, he encounters a man that's possessed by a devil. And he tells the devil to leave the guy alone, and the guy is set in his right mind, and the devil flees. And all of a sudden, in one encounter, not only did Jesus speak ancient words of prophecy, but he fulfilled those same words of prophecy, and then he walked out and he demonstrated that he really was who the Bible, who the Scripture was talking about. And he changed the rules of the game. That little trip to church that day for Jesus changed everything. It was quite an encounter. On that day, as Jesus was reading this, his words, he talked about this, this prophecy, about how it was good news for the poor. How it was, it was the time for the blinded eyes to be able to see again. It was the time for those that had been oppressed or those that had been taken captive to be finally released. And then he talked about this amazing prophecy called the year of the Lord's favor, or actually it was referred to as the year of Jubilee. Jubilee in the Jewish culture was a time where every 50 years, God put the reset button on their culture. He said, every 50 years, I want you to wipe out everybody's debt. If you owe anything to anybody, at the end of 50 years, it gets wiped out and you get to start over. 
He said, if you're taken captive, if you're a slave, at the end of this 50-year period, when Jubilee hits, you get to be set free. You get to go free. But the biggest thing about it is that God said that at the end of these 50 years, he said, all the land gets to go back to its original owners. If you've sold land and passed it on, at the end of 50 years, it goes back. And it was this amazing, this amazing thing in their culture. But when Jesus came and stood before him that day, what Jesus was literally saying to this group of people is he was saying to them, I am the permanent jubilee. Jubilee has come, and it's not going to be every 50 years anymore. It is here forever. And as Jesus began to to teach and preach and go out, we begin to see that the very things that were foretold began to come true. The blinded eyes started to see. Those that had been taken captive in their emotions and in their spiritual lives began to be set free. Those that had been living in oppression, had been living in bondage, started to experience freedom. And God, once and for all, canceled the debt that we owed in our sin. Once and for all, Jesus said, the debt that you have incurred through your life, through the choices of your life, through the decisions that you've made, once and for all, through Jesus, I am wiping those debts out. They are paid in full. And Jesus said, Jubilee, it's come. But there was this a problem. There was this huge problem in this, in this situation because Jesus was talking to a community of people. Does that sign say community? Okay, I want to make sure I'm pointing the right way because I can't see him. He was talking to a community of people. As you see that sign, and that community of people had a very distinct culture to it. And Jesus knew the culture that he was talking to. He knew where they came from because Jesus grew up in this very town. He was rubbing shoulders in this church service with the very people that he grew up with, that knew his family, that knew him by name. And so there was this problem because Jesus was telling them that something very significant was happening, but they couldn't accept it because they knew Jesus. He was way too familiar to them. He was way too ordinary for them. He looked too much like them. Their culture rejected what Jesus was offering and it made them angry. It made them want to resist. It made them say, no, we won't accept this. And really what was going on in that service is that Jesus was basically saying, if you can get past the truth about who you are, then you can accept the truth about who I really am. But you got to get past your mindset, your issues, your lies that you've believed. You've got to get past these things in order to be able to walk into the truth of what I'm telling you right now is found in Christ. And my friends, as we stand here and look at this scripture today, you and I are facing the same exact hurdle that they were facing in that church service all those years ago. Because you and I have certain truths that we believe about ourselves too. You and I have certain things that our community these people that we call family and friends and the culture that we've created, we have certain rules that we accept. We have certain things that are okay and certain things that we say, no, that's not allowed. And within this culture, I believe that Jesus has come and he wants to reveal himself to us as he really is, just as he did in this story. But the issue really isn't whether or not we will accept it. The issue is, are we going to get honest about ourselves to be able to accept it? 
See, we've been talking about this idea of God coming into our world and changing the culture, coming into our community of humanity and changing the culture and the rules of the game. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about all of these teachings and all of these scriptures that we find that talk about how God wants to create this culture of grace where our issues between each other are easily resolved. Not hard, easily resolved. When I say something to you and it hurts your feelings, or when you say something to me and it pricks against my pride or my ego, that we have the ability to come together and quickly and easily resolve our issues amongst each other. It would be nice to say that we're going to have a culture or a community that doesn't have any issues to resolve, right? Right. That will never happen. The goal is for us to come together and to be able to resolve our issues quickly. And as we've been learning through scripture after scripture, it all weaves back to this underlying theme of being honest. Getting honest with myself as I look before God, with myself as I stand before you. Honesty has to be the core issue in our culture that begins to breed our issues easily being resolved, that it begins to live itself out in our lives in a way that we experience the grace of God and we begin to experience this dynamic that Jesus talked about on this day in church when he came and he said, Jubilee has come. It's, an, it's time for there to be an end to bondage. If I were to say to you tonight that that person that has hurt you, that you can't let go of the pain and forgive, if I were to say to you that you're in bondage tonight, many of you would reject that. And you would say, I'm not in bondage. I just don't like that guy, okay? We would have all kinds of ways to spin it, to try to make it anything other than what it is. But the bottom line is the teachings of Jesus say that if you have something against anyone, if you know that someone has anything against you, Jesus says this is the most important issue in your life. He says this is so critical that if you're at church and you're getting ready to worship God and you're getting ready to give him your offering or your worship or your heart, he says this is so important. You leave the church service right now and you go find that person and you apologize or you go and offer them your forgiveness. Jesus says if you don't learn to resolve your issues with each other, you will never experience jubilee. You will never experience freedom. It's a big deal. And so in Colossians, we're going to read a, a passage tonight that's going to talk to us a little bit more and give us a little bit more clarity to this thought. In Colossians chapter 1, it says these words. This is a letter from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May our God and Father give you grace and peace. This letter says, We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news or gospel that came to you is going out all over the world and it is bearing fruit everywhere. 
by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives, get this, will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. This passage says a lot. If any of you guys have not read some of these short books in the New Testament, what we just found is that this was actually a letter written to a group of Christians. And I encourage you to go home tonight or tomorrow to open your Bible and to read this letter of Colossians in its entirety from start to finish. Just sit down, have some coffee, and just imagine reading this letter that was between two people. And read it from start to finish and allow the words and allow the different things that they talk about in conversation to hit your heart. For time's sake, we can only talk about just a snippet of it, but it's important for you to understand that many parts of the Bible were actual letters that were written to groups of people. And this letter here was actually written by two men. It was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, which he wrote a lot of the Bible, a lot of the New Testament. And his apprentice, or his, the guy that he was mentoring or discipling, his name was Timothy. And you'll find when you read in Scripture that these two names come up a lot, and they're, they're together a lot, Paul and Timothy. And so Paul begins to explain his heart to these people. He greets them, and then he starts to talk about the culture of who they are. He begins to talk about when I was with you and when I heard about you and when you believed, these are the things that I experienced and that other people talk about that they experienced. He jumps right in and he starts talking about the power of the gospel of Jesus, the good news. He jumps in and he starts saying, this gospel or this good news, everywhere that it goes, every person that hears it, it changes their lives. All of a sudden, they hear this, they receive it, and it begins to change them into something else. And we've talked about this concept in the Bible a lot of fruit, about how the Bible uses this analogy of fruit over and over and over again. And Paul uses that same analogy here. He says, the gospel goes out, it changes lives, but then he says something very important. He says, but then you begin to produce this fruit. And then he says something even more amazing. He says, you begin to grow. Now, growth is one of those things that most of us in our mind's eye, when we read in Scripture, we think about this concept of growth. Many times what we think in terms of is we think in terms of like going to the gym and hitting the weights and being able to work out and being able to get on the treadmill and run and increase our endurance and being able to expand our limitations and being able to go further than maybe I could go a week ago. That's, in our mind, what we think of when we think in terms of growth. But you guys, we've been seeing something completely different in Scripture. We've been getting a different picture. We've been getting this picture given to us over and over again where it begins to talk about not us just becoming a better version 
of who we were, but it's actually this process of God planting a seed inside of us and beginning to make us something completely different. We're not growing into a better version of us. We are turning into a version of God. He's on the inside of us, and he has planted himself inside of us. And the Bible actually uses this word seed. It says God has placed his seed inside of our hearts, and it has begun to grow. And the seed of God is what is beginning to produce fruit. It's not you and me. It's him. He's inside of us doing some crazy stuff. And that seed is what's beginning to emerge. And so it's very important that when we read scripture like this and it starts talking about lives changing, it starts talking about how we're this and then all of a sudden we're becoming this. It's this process that we have to understand where it's actually this picture of duplication. It's like a person hears, they hear of Jesus Put yourself back in that church service where Jesus is standing before them and he rolls the scrolls out and he says, I have come. They hear it for the first time and that message pierces our hearts and we begin to go, oh, that is truth. And that truth begins to germinate, it begins to grow. We accept it and all of a sudden this change happens and then we start to metamorphosize. We start to change, transform. Literally, we are becoming something else. We're becoming something that bears fruit. When I look at the way that I used to live, when I look at the, the way that I used to think, when I, used to, when I look at the things that, that I used to desire and want and the things that came naturally to me and the things that I invested my time and my energy and my resources after, they all pointed to one thing. In some way, shape, or form, they all pointed to me, to my pride, to my ego, to make me feel better about me. Everything. Whether it was the pursuit of a career, the pursuit of a girl, the pursuit of of excelling in a hobby, or whatever it was, it all came back to satisfy that urge or that little thing inside of me that was all about my ego and my pride. Now all of a sudden the seed of God gets planted in Jason's heart and this process starts to change. It starts to change me. Now on the outside I look the same. I'm still doing the same things. I'm still saying the same things. I'm still going in the same places and I'm still living my life the way that I've always lived it because I've lived this way for a long time and this is what I do. But all of a sudden this seed begins to grow inside of me and as it begins to grow all of a sudden it starts pushing out These things that at one time took over everything, that at one time controlled everything. And I sense from the inside that I'm becoming something else. And it's amazing. Now, this idea of this process happening, it's very important that we understand that when God plants his seed inside of us, it's a done deal. It is is a done deal that God has literally said, I have put inside of you everything that it takes for you to become what I have asked or desired for you to become. And so now I look at growth as something completely different than just getting on the treadmill and going, oh, I'm trying to increase my stamina. I'm trying to get my lungs to expand and trying to stay on this thing longer than I did last week. Now I'm starting to realize is that I am starting 
to emerge and become and see the evidence of the real me. I'm starting to see the real Jason. And it's starting to emerge, and it's starting to show itself, and it starts inside in my desires. It starts to get inside me in the way that I feel about things. But this whole process that's taking place all the time is now centered about something completely different than what my life was centered around before. Remember, before it was all me. It was all ego and pride and all about making myself happy. And now it's all about God. And it's all about humility. And it's all about pleasing Him and pleasing others and living for something else. And this process that starts to play itself out over and over and over again has at its core this concept of repentance. You and I have been talking about our community of people how we've built this environment that we are enjoying. We go and we are being able to experience relationships, not with just one church building, but with churches all over the valley. There's people right here, right now, that if I were to say, raise your hand, if you go to a different church, they'd go up everywhere. We've got people that are experiencing true freedom and unity in the body of Christ. Why is this happening? It's becoming evident that where honesty flows, where we allow people to get real with each other, where we begin to drop down the walls and drop down our pride and drop down all of the different things that we wrestle with individually, that God begins to come in and he begins to emerge. And he builds that unity through you and through me and through our relationships. And so our culture is now beginning to show and play out and put on display the very fruit that is starting on the inside of our hearts because of the seed of God. Now, many of us look at our lives and we go, I'm a mess, plain and simple. I know what I do on a week-to-week basis. I know the habits that I have, the addictions that I wrestle with, the tendencies that I have. I'm a mess. If I read Scripture and I look at the life that I'm supposed to be living when I read Scripture and I compare myself to it, I might as well just cash in my chips and go home. I got no game here. There's nothing that I can do to be able to even come close to what I read and what is put on display here and for me to feel good about myself. It's like this continual process that you and I are going through where we fall down and then we get up. And then we fall down and then we get up. And then we fall down and then we get up again. Has anybody ever felt like you've lived on that little treadmill? Let me ask you something. What happens to you when you do something over and over and over and over again? Like, let's just say push-ups. What happens when you actually do this? Not like this, you know, but like really do it. What eventually begins to happen in your life? You get stronger. You begin to grow. Something begins to happen in your life and you begin to emerge. Something from, well, not all of us, but some of us, we begin to see something changing in our lives. Now you're saying, well, wait a second, you just said that spiritual growth isn't like getting on the treadmill. It's true, but the principles can be the same. See, the principle of God's Word and the seed of God being planted in our hearts, honestly, is an invisible thing. 
And it's hard for sometimes for us to see it, for us to experience it completely on the outside. But on the inside, some of us have experienced something. And when we begin to do this over and over again, this exercise, we fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. Many of us tonight would say, that makes me feel like a failure. Makes me feel like I don't add up. Makes me feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Makes me feel like I'm faking it. Makes me feel like I'm just playing games with God because I keep going through these same things. But I want to tell you something tonight. That the way that you and I experience the fruit of God is when you and I allow God to produce the fruit in our lives. Now, when you and I desire something good, a change, I want to produce fruit, I want something to change in my life, what's the first thing that we do? We think about it. We put our mind to it. We're like, I'm going to do this, whatever it is. I'm going to put my best foot forward, and I'm going to commit to it, and I'm going to give it everything I got, and I'm going to really, really perform well, and I'm going to do this. When Jesus was standing before this crowd of people that day, there's a few things that he said, but there's a lot of things that he didn't say. And one of the things that he didn't say that day is he didn't say to them, now that I'm here, the rules have to be kept even more stringently than you've been keeping them. He didn't say to them, that today the, the change is on and I expect perfection out of your lives when I look at you. There was something completely different going on in their heads that day that they couldn't accept. It had nothing to do with keeping the rules. If Jesus had stood before him and said, everybody here, keep the rules, they would have cheered him. They wouldn't have been angry at him. They would have applauded him and they would have said, great teaching, Jesus. You're the Messiah. Great job. We'll keep the rules. But Jesus didn't say that. The reason they got so mad is because Jesus said, I have come to set you free and you don't have a prayer without me. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that you cannot produce fruit without me. The fruit that you desire, the fruit that you want, the growth that you strive for, all of these things that you've lived your life for, they are empty without me. I complete them. I fulfill them. I put them the way that they're supposed to be in your life. In other words, Jesus came and he said, it's all about me. And as we sit here tonight and we look at this, and we look at this concept, it's this concept of allowing God to work it out in us. We want to work it out ourselves. We want to do the work. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel accomplished. It makes us feel like we're doing our part. But Jesus says there's certain things that you've got to let me do. Because if you do them, you get the glory. But if I do it, I get the glory. And my friends... I have come to experience the reality that I cannot change my heart. I can't stop doing bad things unless God comes on the inside of my heart and he begins to tweak it and he begins to say, Jason, 
these things that you used to do that pleased you and were all about you, I'm rewiring this and it's going to be mine now and it's going to look like me and it's going to be all about your love for me and others. And this stuff that you're drawn to instinctively by your nature, I'm going to start to make it taste really bad in your mouth. I'm going to start to make it to where you don't enjoy it like you used to anymore. I'm going to start to make it so that when you do it, the next day you just kick yourself and you're just like, oh God, did I really do that again? I'm going to start doing some stuff on the inside that's going to start to make you understand that this game has changed. And in the middle of all of this is this process of falling down, getting back up, falling down, getting back up. And in the middle of all of it is this sweet repentance of God that he gives to us as a gift. And he says, it doesn't taste so good anymore, does it, Jason? It doesn't satisfy like it used to, does it? It doesn't make you feel good anymore, does it? No, God, it doesn't. Let's change that. Let's let this fruit begin to emerge. Let's let this start to show what's really going on on the inside. Now, what I've just described to you, I wish happened, poof, that fast. I wish that you walked in the door, you came up front, you did a little deal, you walked out there, and it was all over. That was it. But any of us who have experienced the life of faith know that there's a reason that Scripture calls it walking with God. Because it's a journey. And sometimes it feels like a long walk. But the walk has along it so many different dynamics, and one of them that is absolutely a vital ingredient is honesty. In our understanding of getting real and getting honest with each other, we recognize that I can only allow this process to take place in my heart when I recognize what God is doing and and accept it and go with it. Because I can fight it all day, every day. I can say no to God and I can resist and God will just say, when you're ready, I know how to get you where I want you, but let's do this the easy way, you know. God knows how to get where he needs to get in our hearts. These two guys that were writing this letter, Paul and Timothy, they had a very interesting relationship that's really interesting for us tonight. Because if you read through the scripture and you read through the story of the early church and you find that, that after the church got started, that there was a period of time where people knew who Jesus was and they accepted his teachings and they began to live in this new way and they began to experience new life and they began to be changed. But then there came a period of time where those people began to tell other people through their lives and through their stories about the power of Jesus and about what he had done. And this guy Timothy that wrote this letter with Paul was one of the very first church leaders. Hey there. Oh, God bless you. You guys give Erica a hand. She is like on it. Yeah, my, it's because I'm sweating and you can see it, huh? You're close enough. Yeah, she's got it. This guy, Timothy, was one of the very first pastors of the early church that came 
after the time of Jesus. In other words, Timothy was a second-generation believer. Timothy was one of the first early pastors of the second generation of this early movement of the church. Now, that's an interesting thing because in order for Timothy to have heard about Jesus, something had to happen because he didn't live around the time when Jesus lived. He came later. What took place? What had to happen in order for Timothy to become a believer and eventually to become a pastor? Somebody, somewhere, had to tell him. Somebody somewhere had to get in Timothy's life and share their faith with him. Now, if you read Timothy's story, you know that he came from a family, a grandma, a mother, came from a grandma and a mother who told him about Jesus and a family of faith. But Timothy's the first one where there literally was this fruit that came from the power of the teachings of Jesus and it emerged and it began to grow. And then that fruit began to emerge and grow. And here comes Timothy. It's this picture of duplication. It's this picture of what Jesus was talking about that day as he stood before the congregation about Jubilee and how the year of the Lord's favor has come and how everything's changed and how when you listen, it affects you. But it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody that God puts in your life. And you affect culture. Now, in this time, this guy Paul writes Timothy a letter. He's this young pastor, and he wants to tell Timothy a lot of the things that he needs for him to know as he's working in the church world. And he begins to write some letters to Timothy. And this little short snippet in one of the letters says this. Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. He says, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in Him and receive eternal life. I want you to read this with me, but I want you to read it in a little different form, in a little different fashion. When it says up there, Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Think about those words with me about you, about me, the worst of them all. That's me. That is you. Look look at what it says. It says, but God had mercy on me, on you. God had mercy on us. Why? Why? Look at what it says. So that others will realize that they too can believe in Him. A community of people who have experienced a culture of grace who are now experiencing themselves changing culture. 
changing where they live, changing where they work, changing how they do life. Their culture is now changing. Not because we're all going to the gym and we're all making ourselves better. No, because the power of God birthed in our hearts is beginning to emerge. And as it begins to come out, there's all kinds of crazy things that happen. But one of the first things that happens is that we begin to get real with ourselves. We get honest with ourselves. And one of the first things that we have to get honest with those people had such a hard time getting honest with themselves about in Jesus' church, is that I am the worst sinner. There's a lot of us here tonight that have a hard time accepting that about ourselves. Maybe for good reason. Maybe we come from a great family. Maybe we, we were raised in church. Maybe we understand the Bible, the things of God. And we look at our life and we're like, I wasn't a bad sinner. I did things pretty good. Compared to what? Well, if we were to take a poll in this room, you're probably right. Compared to most of us in this room, you did things pretty good. But we're not comparing ourselves to each other. We're not comparing ourselves to other people's track records. We're not comparing ourselves to the things that we've seen in the world even. We're getting real with ourselves. We're getting honest with ourselves. And when Jesus stood before those people and he said, the time has come for the Savior of the world to arrive, they knew what that meant. They knew that somebody was there to take away all of their sins. And they said, you are not him. (laughs) My friends, he came to take away our sins. Some of us here tonight, as we read this little part in Scripture, need to understand that there's this progression that Paul's talking about, about how Christ came for us, that God came into the world. He saw us and he saw our need and he came for us And when he came, we saw him and we went, oh my God, you are perfect and holy and I am not. I am unholy and rude and crude and I am a sinner. And compared to this, as you've come, I need so much more than what I can give myself. And this progression begins to happen and through it, salvation takes place and Christ comes and he saves us and then the progression finally comes to the end where God says, and now my plan all along was to take your life and all that you used to live for and all of the arrogance and the pride and the self-pleasing ways that you, you strived and strained for, to take all of that and take it aside, and I'm going to let my love and my beauty emerge through you. And you are now going to be the demonstration of me. And we get this picture over and over through Scripture of us being this old, dead, broken thing and coming in contact with the living, breathing God. And as He breathes new life into us, we don't just act like, a better version of ourselves, but we literally get recreated into this brand new image of God and he begins to show the world who he is through us. 
we begin to get this understanding that the culture of Jesus celebrates old things becoming new. The culture of God is all about putting on display what the world throws away as garbage. When Jesus stood before that congregation that day, the culture and the community of people wanted to crown a king. And they wanted a royal robe to put on him. And they wanted a crown of jewels on his head. And they wanted somebody that was larger than life, that they could triumph behind, that they could show the rest of the world The king has come for Israel, and this is our man, and we will worship him because look at how great he is. And Jesus gets down on his knees, and he's like, I'm your king. I've come for you. I'm going to take away your sin. But it's not like you thought. It's not about this way of life that pleases your flesh and your ego and your pride. It's about getting low. It's about getting low to where you can love the unlovable where you can lay down your life for your friends. It's about losing yourself so that you can find it. It's about giving away all that you have so that you can get something so valuable that this world doesn't even have it to give. And Jesus lays this out for them. And they spit on it. It angered them and they said, no, it can't be this way because we want it to be about us. My friends, if you're here tonight and you feel your heart opening up right now, you feel your heart, you know what it feels like, I know what it feels like. Our hearts begin to soften and they begin to open and we walked in here tonight, we had our dukes up and we're like, I don't want anybody to tell me nothing. And all of a sudden here we sit and we're feeling our arms drop and we're like, wow, because God doesn't want to hit you. God wants to hug you. God doesn't want to take you out back and show you a better way to live. No. He wants to wrap his arms around you and say, let me give you life. Abandon your pursuits. Abandon what you've been going after and let me give you me. And he says, I'll put myself on you. And this thing that you have experienced so far in your life, whether you think it's been good or whether you think it's been horrible, compared to the life of Jesus, the life of God, it's dead. There's nothing there. I'm going to ask Devon, a couple of the musicians, to come on up here. They're going to share a song with us tonight as we close things out. you've been here before with us, you know that responding to God is really it for us. I can stand up here and I can talk, we can sing, we can have a good time and all these different things that happen, but at the end of our time together, there's always something that happens inside of us. It's happening inside of some of you right now. And it feels different at different times for different people. But what it is, is it's God showing you who He is in His way and in your way. And we have something to do with that. We have to make a choice. We have to respond in some way. 
Some people respond by quietly bowing their heads and saying a prayer. Other people respond by crying. Other people respond by singing. Other people respond by praying and doing different things. Some of us get angry at God, and it's all okay. Respond to God, because that's what's going on inside of you. But tonight, we're going to respond a little differently. We're going to listen to Devon and share a song with us that God gave her that she wrote. It has to do with becoming new. Let these words hit your heart. Let these words affect you. Let these words make sense to you in a way that God will use them in your life. We're going to come to these tables and we're going to, we're going to take a moment, we're going to take this bread and we're going to dip it in the juice and we're going to spend a moment with God and say to God, Lord, I want to take all of the events of my week and all of the different things that I've been through and all of the different experiences that I've had and I'm going to put them all into this moment right now and I'm going to center myself around you. I'm going to respond to you and I'm going to let you have me. I'm going to let you do what you desire to do in me. And so when they begin to sing, when they begin to share, we're going to let you just come as you feel led these tables and then what we normally do is we find a place to get real with God we talk to him, we pray we let him have us so I invite you to do that tonight listen to this song you ready? you've been listening to gravitychurch.com